Pray for our college students. They'll be leaving this week. Um, a lot of them will. Uh, I know my two will be going back and many of you here. We need to pray for them that they'll be light and they'll be salt in a culture that is starkly opposed to what we've tried to teach them, church. We're going to read about a young man today named Joseph who lived in a culture that stood opposed to what he knew to be right. But Joseph was able to stand up and do what was right in the midst of that culture in which he found himself in. We're in our final series of studies in the book of Genesis. Many of you are probably glad of that by now. Uh, revolves around the life of this young man, Joseph. We talked about that. Fourteen chapters in the book of Genesis, roughly a third of the or fourth of the book of Genesis is taken up just by this one man uh, that we're studying about named uh, Joseph. The last time we were in Genesis, we began the life of Joseph, uh, Joseph in chapter 37 where we're going to be again today. And we talked about the Old Testament gospel in the life of Joseph, how Joseph's life uh, is God painting a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ to come. We looked at Joseph in several different ways. Joseph as son, Joseph as servant, Joseph as supreme, and Joseph as savior. But what I want want us to get about this young man or about his life is he's a young man who lived a pure life, a righteous life in a very difficult Situation, but it wasn't always easy for Joseph. I think that song that Madison sung this morning is so profound because if you think about it, that's kind of how the life of Joseph went. And this morning, I want you to think about that this morning as for just a few minutes we talk about in the life of Joseph, the shifting sand and shattered dreams in his life. Now you stop and think about it. Moses was the author of this book, Genesis. Long after the life of Joseph, Moses wrote these words. It had been passed on in the oral tradition by word of mouth up until that time. But here, you know, the Bible said that Joseph or Moses was in Egypt. He was surrounded by all the trappings, all the wealth, all the education. He was in Pharaoh's home. All, he had the best of the best. And the Bible tells us that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, I can't help but think that part of that, what played into that, was that when Moses was a little boy, he must have been sitting on mom and daddy's lap. There, you know the story how that came to be. And they told him the story of Joseph living a righteous life down there in Egypt when his family turned against him, against the culture that was around them. He did it right, and no doubt that influenced that young man named Moses. The same thing is true for us. There's some of us who are living in a difficult situation. Going to a school where there's great temptation and young people, as you leave to go off to college, there's going to be great temptation and there's going to be great hostility towards the gospel and towards what you've been taught is right to the things of God. 
But the life of Joseph illustrates that it is possible to live for God even in the midst of a difficult situation. Romans 8, 29, you've heard me say it, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, talks about 8, 28, that we know that all things work together for good. But 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, them also he did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his Son. And we see in the life of Joseph that God is working all these things out to make him like Jesus. He's doing the same for us. There's a key, I believe, which unlocks uh, this story of Joseph. I believe it's the key to everything that we've read when we started in uh, chapter 37 all the way through the end of the book of Genesis. So if you've got your Bibles, Genesis chapter number 37, I want to read just one verse this morning, verse number 19. Genesis chapter number 37, verse number 19. And they said one to another, his brothers, and they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we open up your word this morning, God, your people are gathered. Father, I, I, I pray that as we look through this chapter once again, that God, you'll give us something new. Father, that you'll raise our motivation. Father, that you'll encourage us and give us a hope for a future as we live in a culture that is hostile to the gospel. God, I know that you can do that because you said that your word would not return unto you void, but it would accomplish that which you set it out to do. And God, we're trusting today that you'd do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. The brothers said, Behold, the dreamer cometh. It's interesting, as you read this, they said that about Joseph, but it was not meant as a compliment. It was a derogatory statement. Amazing thing about God, though, you know, He can take what's meant as a complaint, what's meant as a derogatory statement, and turn that thing into a compliment. Kind of like in the life of Jesus, they said, hey, He's a friend of sinners. They didn't mean that as a good thing. But we know it today as a good thing because God, I thank Him today that He is a friend of sinners. That He didn't look upon us and say, hey, I don't want to have anything. But in my darkest day, in my most desperate time, the God of heaven was a friend to me, became flesh and did everything necessary to restore my relationship with Him. So I'm glad today that Jesus received sinners. And today I want us to look at four areas of Joseph's life that highlight this thought. Shifting sands and shattered dreams. Four areas. I'm going to start with number one, the family where Joseph lived. It's found in verses one through four of uh, chapter number 37. The Bible said, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. The family where Joseph lived. 
You know, one of the most amazing things about the life of Joseph is he had a godly heritage. You stop and think about that, being Joseph, being able to stab my grandpa's Abraham. My, my grandpa, my great, great grandpa is Abraham. And then, of course, hey, Isaac and Jacob. Joseph had a, you know, there's people sitting in here this morning, you've got a godly heritage. I, I mean, I think about the story of my wife and, and, and her great-grandma and, and how her great-grandma would, uh, one of her favorite things to do when she'd babysit the kids is she'd take those kids and they'd get to arguing and a fighting with each other. And after she cut the switch and wore them out, she had this big rock on her uh, fireplace mantle. And she'd make those kids go in there and gather together and hold hands at that rock and pray until they got that thing right. And she wouldn't let them get up until they'd made up and they'd stop that fussing and fighting. I don't know which was worse, the praying or the whooping that they got with that switch. But either way, she taught them the things of God. But you know what? As I read this story, even though Joseph had a godly heritage, there was problems in his family. And I take from that this morning that our godly heritage does not insulate us from the problems that this world throws at us. I mean, we look back, Abraham had them, Isaac had them, Jacob had them, and now Joseph is going to have problems, even though he come from a godly heritage. We look and we read there, I mean, his father uh, loved Joseph more than all of his children. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He was the... Joseph was the child of his old age because he was the son of his old age. He made him a coat of many colors. I mean, here's Israel now, used to be Jacob, a godly man with a godly heritage, been taught about who the Lord was, and yet he's showing favoritism amongst his son, and he makes Joseph this coat of many colors. We talked about that. It wasn't the gift, per se, that made uh, created such the the problem in the family, it was what that robe represented. Because Joseph was the younger son and he was supposed to work his way up through the ranks, but by giving Joseph this coat of many colors, what Israel, Jacob, was saying to the world and all the brothers is, I'm putting Joseph in charge. He's the one in authority. And he elevated him above his brothers in status and authority and position, and that made the other brothers angry. Jealousy creeped in. Do you know one of the biggest problems in families is jealousy? I mean, one thinks to somebody else, and I'm not talking about little three and four year olds now. That comes, I'm talking about adults and grown people and folks that have claimed they've been Christians for 50 and 60 years. Jealousy creeps into a family because one thinks another has more, been given more, been shown more attention, this and that. It happens in the family of God, at the house of God as well. And what I'm trying to explain to you is that even though we may come from a godly heritage, there's still problems arise in the family. The family of God, Joseph's family. So we look at the family in which he lived. Look what it says in verse number 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now the brothers had the same parents, same grandparents and all of that, been raised up in the same household. 
But the Bible said that when they felt like Joseph was being raised up above them, when Joseph was be, had been given authority that they felt like should be theirs, uh, when Joseph was given the coat of many colors, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. The family where Joseph lived, just like other families, just like my family, just like your family, I know people that have been in families, got brothers and sisters that they've not talked to in years because of something that happened years ago and time may have passed and they may not even remember why they're upset and mad anymore. They just know they're mad and won't even so much as talk to each other. That's what this says. When they do talk, it's not peaceable. Joseph's family, the brothers couldn't even say a good word of uh, about Joseph or to Joseph. They couldn't speak peaceably unto him. The father had showed partiality, uh, but problems arose in this family, even though it was a family with a godly uh, heritage. And I want to say this too. Hatred is a dangerous emotion. Now most people will say that the opposite of love is hatred. That's not true. The opposite of love is jealousy which leads to hatred. And it's a dangerous... When you say, Keith, why in the world do you say that? Because love gives and jealousy covets. Love gives without the expectation of return and jealousy wants without wanting to give anything. That's why it's the opposite of love. Hatred is that burning emotion that springs from jealousy whereby we irrationally... Uh, all of us deserve hell. We want what is not good for someone and we want harm to come to that person. And the problem that arises in this family is they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Do you know if there's one thing that I would want to get across to people, people in general, is that the emotion of hatred does not do harm to the person that's being hated. There's only one person that hatred does harm to. And that is the person doing the hating. I mean, hatred is like a cancer. And I've seen it. That's why you see people that live in life and God so richly blessed them and met all of their needs. We live in this great country where we have all this freedom. And they walk around with a sad face. You think they're sucking a lemon all the time. Why? Because inside of them there's this burning, consuming fire that robs them of a joy that God wants them to have each and every day of their lives. And that, what does that is that burning cancer in them called hatred. Hatred of circumstances, hatred of people, hatred of what made uh, life, the situations of, that it's thrown at them. James 3.18 tells us, For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. And that's what hatred does. It brings confusion and eventually evil works. So the family in which Joseph lived. But then we come to the future that Joseph dreamed. The Bible says there in verse number 5, And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. That's why they called him the dreamer that we read about. God's got a plan for Joseph, just like God's got a plan for you, and he's got a future for Joseph. He's got a future for you. So Joseph begins to dream dreams. The Bible says in verse 5 that he did that, and what did he do? He told his brothers. 
Now, I've heard scholars, even great theologians, say that Joseph was showing arrogance here when he did that. But he was simply uh, relaying to them what God had showed him. He wasn't sinning. He wasn't doing anything wrong. Joseph just said, hey, I dreamed a dream, and here's what that is. So Joseph dreams. Typical of young people. Children have vivid imaginations uh, as adults. If we're not careful, uh, the scars and the hatred of life drive us to beat that imagination and dreams out of our young people. Uh, I think about a little boy and he had to stay home from school one day because it was snowing. You know how little boys don't like to stay in the house when it's snowing outside. His mama had him inside the house and he was looking out the window and his mama was in the kitchen washing dishes. All of a sudden, a little boy lets out a scream like a wild banshee and goes in there running mama saying, Mama, Mama, there's an abominable snowman in the yard. There's an abominable snowman in the yard. Well, it scared his mama to death. She goes running. She looks out the window and all it was was the neighbor out there bundled up shoveling snow. Well, the mama got angry. Said, son, why are you telling lies? There's no abominable snowman out there. I want you to march up to your room and you stay there and don't you come back down, not even to eat supper until you've talked this thing over with God. The little boy, he marches up into his room and he goes up with him just a little while. He come back down and said, mama, I'm ready to eat. She said, well, now wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. Did you talk that thing over with God? He said, yes, I did, and we got it worked out. God told me when he saw the neighbor, he thought it was an abominable snowman at first, too. (laughs) You needed to smile, didn't you? Listen, we've got to be careful not to beat the dreams out of our young people. And Joseph dreamed a dream. Now, what was those dreams? Well, it said unto them um, in verse 6, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and Lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Now, what is a sheaf? Well, just think about like ears of corn and the stalks that grow up, something like that. Uh, It's literally agriculture and what's been harvested and they would bind those things together. what, What Joseph here is dreaming apparently is that God is going to use him in the future from something that comes from the ground to provide substance or sustenance to his brothers. You know the story. That's exactly what happens later on. And that the brothers are going to be, the whole family, matter of fact, are going to be coming to Joseph to provide their sustenance, their food, from this corn that's growing up out of the ground. That's what God shows him, dream number one. His brethren, verse number seven or eight says, said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So he tells them the first dreams. Well, some time must have passed. Don't know exactly how long that time is. In verse number 9, the Bible says, He dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. I've done that thing again. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. So the first one has to do with him providing sustenance for them out of what grows out of the ground. The second one has to do with his authority. It says right here that they even dreamed a dream and the sun and the moon and the eleven stars 
bowed down before Joseph. Uh, Joseph had 11 brothers, 11 stars bowed down to him. The Bible says in verse number 10, he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. Now let's put that in a modern context. All right? Can we get real this morning, church? Joseph the dreamer. When is the last time you dreamed a big dream for the Lord? I, I, I mean, when you literally, when, when you something, anything, whatever, say, I, I mean, we know that God's got a plan, right, for Joseph's life, and God's got a plan for your life and for my life. And, and when was the last time that you dreamed something that seemingly was impossible that was so great for the Lord? You see, not only can parents beat the dreams out of their children, but that cold water committee can beat the dreams out of a church. I mean, Joseph here, he's simply saying, look, I don't understand exactly what's going on and I don't have all this thing works out, but God's showing me something that he's going to do great things. And listen, here's, here's what both daddy and the brothers were thinking. Well, it ain't never been this way before. You're the youngest, Joseph. I mean, it's not, it's not tradition that the youngest is the one that rises to the top. It's the father and then the oldest, and then it goes down the line till you get to the youngest. Joseph, it ain't never been this way, and we don't want any change to take place, Joseph. So what we're going to do, instead of getting on board with the dream, we're going to get angry and hatred and envious for what God's got going on in Joseph's life. And I've seen that time and time again. You get somebody on fire for the Lord and they're wanting to do great things for the Lord and instead of people getting on board and saying, hey, I want to get in on this thing, what happens? They say, we ain't never done it that way. We're not going to get in. They pour cold water on what God's trying to do in a person's life and in that person's life through the life of a church. That's in every church in America, including this one. The cold water committee. The future that Joseph dreamed he said listen I don't understand this but God's going to do great things and Jesus said this in John chapter 7 verse 17 if any man will do his will he shall know of the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself see God has a will for our life uh, young people I, I want to challenge you this morning make up your mind that you're going to find that will and dream big things for God. Dream big. Don't say I'm going to go through this life and just exist, but I'm going to do great things for the glory of God. Churches can dream too. Church, if we're going to exist, let's dream big for God. Something that the world would look and say that's impossible for them people up there on that hill to accomplish. Let's dream it and let's trust God and see that thing come to fruition. There's going to be naysayers. Shalt thou indeed reign over us? There's going to be the cold water committee. But God was speaking to Joseph. 
in dreams. I want to say this. The Bible says in Hebrews that God in times past spoke through the prophets in various ways. But in these recent or latter times has spoken to us by His Son through the Word of God. God doesn't so much do it through dreams anymore. He does it through the Word. And as we get in the Word and God shows us through the Word uh, His will for our lives, then I promise you, He wants to do greater things in and through the life of individuals and in and through the life of a church that we could even possibly think up ourselves. But we've got to trust Him. That that crazy, radical uh, promises that He's made in His Word, that He has the power to make those things come to pass. Now we're going to meet people like Joseph's brothers. Keep on dreaming. We're going to meet people like the daddy and say, hey, uh, he'd been given the promises of God and he didn't understand. But I want to challenge you this morning, church. Let's dream big dreams for God. That we can go further and higher into places that we've not even dreamed of if we'll simply trust him. The family where Joseph lived, the future that Joseph saw God give him a dream. But then number three, the faith that Joseph suffered. I'm not going to read all that. It's actually in the rest of the chapter. Uh, you know the story. Joseph tells the brothers the dream. and um, They get upset. And Later on, the daddy sends Joseph out looking for the brothers and they take him and throw him in a pit. Remember, we read about that. And then they end up selling him uh, into slavery. But one of the things I want us to understand this morning, one of the things I've learned in this life uh, and in ministry, that if we dream big dreams for God, there's going to be some who don't like it. Uh, Joseph experienced that. And the brothers took him, and sold him uh, to slavery and did him harm. But I want to show you something. Starting at verse number... Uh, We'll start about uh, 12, verse number 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said uh, to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, when they, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to, to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. In life. Even while we're chasing our dreams. There's going to be times when we get a little bit lost and we wander off the path. There's a principle here that we can see this morning. You see, the Bible says that Joseph was going to look for his brothers and he was wandering in the field. He, he didn't know quite which direction to go and a certain man found him. And what did that man do? He pointed out to Joseph where Joseph was supposed to go. Young people especially this morning, but all of us. 
There are going to be times in life when we're wandering and we don't know exactly which way to go. But there's something I can promise you. When those times come, God is going to put somebody, someone in our path that's going to be that man that Joseph ran into who's going to point uh, us in the right direction. I, I, I remember not long after I got saved, uh, there was a man by the name of Wayne Borders. You've heard me talk about him many times. He was the pastor that baptized me. Listen, when I got saved, I didn't know you were supposed to read the Bible or go to church or stop cussing or quit drinking. Nobody ever told me that. I just knew that God had forgiven me and I was happy about that. So there's things that I kept on doing because I didn't know any better. I was wondering, even though I was a Christian, and even though I'd been forgiven, and even though heaven was my home, I didn't know where I was going. God put this man in my path by the name of Wayne Borders, an old country preacher, couldn't half read. But boy, he'd open up the Word of God and he'd preach that thing with passion. It'd make chills go up and down your spine. And he loved the Lord and he loved people. And he could tell right from wrong. And God put me in his path. And old Wayne started telling me, Keith, you know, if he got saved, you ought to quit that cussing. Let me show you where in the Word of God it talks about filthy communication. Keith, you know, if the Lord saved you, you probably ought to give up that drinking. Let me show you over here in Proverbs 23 where it talks about the evils of alcohol. Keith, you know, if you got saved, you probably ought to start serving the Lord in the house of God. Let me show you over here in the book of Hebrews where it talks about being faithful to the people of God and to God through the house of God. Keith, you know, you ought to be a faithful daddy and a husband. Let me show you over here in Ephesians where it says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and to train your children up in the nourishment and admonition of the Lord. You see what I'm saying? That God puts people in our path when we're wandering to show us the right way to go if we'll simply open our eyes and be obedient and willing to listen when He does it. But so often, somebody will come up and try to give us some advice and it might be that person sent from the very throne room of God and we get upset and angry because they're trying to tell us what to do. He told Joseph where to go and Joseph went. I thank God that he puts people in our lives. Many of you sitting here this morning have been that person in somebody's life that when they were wandering, you gave them some direction and told them the right way to go. Be that person that gives direction, but be that Joseph who's willing to take it when it comes. The fate Joseph suffered, he ended up being sold into slavery. You see, even though Joseph went the direction that man told him, it was the road that led to suffering. Because when he found his brothers, we talked about that, and the similarities with Christ, they ended up selling him into slavery down in Egypt. Uh, but I want to close with this this morning when we talked about shifting sands and uh, shattered dreams. When you get to the end of chapter number 37 in the book of Genesis, in the life of Joseph, it looks as though that thing is over and that story is done. But I want to show you something this morning, the fulfillment that Joseph experienced. Turn to chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. I want to read those to you as I close this morning. Chapter 42. Years have passed now. Joseph's down in Egypt. He got there because his brothers sold him into slavery. 
Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I've heard that there's corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now listen to this. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. You see, God had brought that thing full circle right back to the dream of Joseph. Young people, don't let anybody tell you, no matter what your circumstance is today, I never dreamed that I'd be standing up before you, opening up the Word of God, preaching what thus saith the Lord. I figured I might be in prison or might wind up in a gutter somewhere. You don't know where tomorrow might lead you if you'll simply trust God and follow Him and dream big dreams for God. And Joseph started out in a pit over there in the sand in Canaan, but he wound up in the palace in Egypt feeding those that were hungry from all over the world. And guess what? His brothers did bow down before him, just exactly like God had said. And church, hear me this morning. Are you holding in your hand some shattered dreams? Does it just seem like life is shifting sand that flows through and you want to try to grasp that thing and it just flows through and it disappears? You may have dreamed once big dreams for God, but you says them, those things can't come to pass now. I'm too old. I'm too weak. It's been too long. I've went too far. But I'm here to tell you something this morning, just as in the life of Joseph, there's nobody too old, too weak, or gone too far for God. And we'll simply turn to Him and say, Lord, I'll let you do whatever you want to do in my life. You see, God took Joseph from the pit in Canaan and placed him on the throne of Egypt for his glory. Do you know what he wants to do for us this morning? Whatever pit we find ourselves in, he wants us to take us from that pit and set us on the throne of glory. The Bible said that if we'll humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will what? Exalt us, lift us up in due time. But it starts with humbling ourselves and saying, God, I'm going to do it your way dream big. People of God, have you been one of those people that's on the cold water committee? I'm going to ask you something this morning. Resign from that committee today. Get off. Say, I'm not going to complain about things going on in the house of God. I'm going to let the people of God dream big things for God. And if I don't want to do it, I'll at least stand back and keep my mouth shut and watch what God's doing. Listen, if you're here this morning, ultimately what led Joseph from the pit to the palace was that he trusted God. And there may be somebody here this morning that you've never trusted the Lord. Let me tell you something, you can't dig out of that pit without God. He provided the shovel. I know that's a 
a funny way of putting it, when the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and died for your sins, took the wrath of God upon himself, and he said if we'll simply believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus that we can be saved, well, he wants you to do that today, and he'll start getting you out of the pit that you find yourself in as we stand. Whatever the Lord's speaking to you, sinking, shifting sand, and shattered dreams. But I thank God that he's the great master builder that can take what's broken in our lives, put that thing back together, and it come out better than we ever, ever dreamed it could be. People of God, do you want to dream big for God? Do we think God can do the impossible? Do we still believe that there's a God in heaven, the one that flung the stars and the moon? Do we believe that He could save this Oak Hill community for His glory? Do we believe we've got a part in it? Dream big. Dream big. Get on that train where God's going. If the Lord's spoken to you this morning, don't you wait, you come. You go ahead. All hearts and minds clear. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And God, we just ask that you continue to use it to conform us to the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.